Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. We are uh, in this 10-year anniversary year of North Bible as being an autonomous church. We really started North as a campus a few years before that, but uh, then uh, we had an opportunity to plant North as its own independent church, uh, and we did 10 years ago. So this year we're kind of we're kind of marking that 10th anniversary with various things. And uh, I remember one of the things that happened when we first uh, we first planted or we first became an autonomous church here at North is that. Uh, timing is everything, right? And so we become an autonomous church and the economy just dives. And uh, the market, the housing market, the real estate market took a huge dive in 08 and uh, all of a sudden uh, we were kind of looking at, okay, what's, what's next for us? And our lease is running out on this building. And, and then a, a, a crazy thing happened, but the, a bank came to us and they held the mortgage on this building, and they said, uh, you know, the people that own your building that you've been paying rent to, uh, it's a bad loan, and, uh, we, you know, you've been making, you've been paying your lease, but they haven't been paying us, and, and so we're going to make you an offer uh, to just assume the note, and you can have this building with no money down. Well, we'd actually had a committee talking, and, and we decided to do an appraisal of this building, and when we looked at the note, the appraisal was lower by far than the note, so we went back and said, you know what, we'd love to do that, but ah, we're stewards of, this, of the church's money, and we really can't, because here's what the appraisal is, and the bank, they were embarrassed because they hadn't appraised it, they get appraised, they come back, they have to lower the price again, and the Lord gave us this building uh, for no money down and we owned the building, it was awesome, and, and that was kind of the first big miracle as, as North was launched, and now we've been going for 10 years, and we've had a great time, and seen all the things that the Lord has done, but as we look at this 10th year, we've really been thinking and talking about what it is that's gonna, the next five to 10 years are gonna look like for North, and, and uh, we've been trying to share some of that with you, and, and in that process, we decided to invite you into this little idea that we had that we're calling Mission Possible, uh, and that is what is the mission of North? As we really thought about the mission of North, we, what is that going to, to look like? And here's one of the things that happened when we owned the building. We decided, okay, now we own this building, what do we do? And, and we thought, let's save some money, and we're not going to hire a cleaning service for our building, but we'll do it ourselves. And so we decided to clean the building ourselves. And, and so Jenna and I, we had some friends and, and we decided we'll clean the church the first Monday of every month. So for seven years, every uh, first Monday of every month, we cleaned the church and we would clean the floors and the bathrooms, the toilets, we'd clean all, you know, pick up all the paper. We would do all of that stuff. We would just clean this church uh, completely every month, the first Monday of the month. Here's where, here's where my, my planning sort of fell but you know, Mondays come right after Sundays. And you guys are all here on Sundays. Monday's the worst time possible to clean the church, you know? It's like the messiest, it's, there's stuff. And, and here's what happens, so you clean the church on a Monday night, Sunday, you just, it's all you can do not to say, stop that, don't drop that there, pick that up. That, you know, do you put your feet on the furniture at home? You know, all, all of those kinds of things because you just clean the church and you have to clean it again and here, here are all of you guys that we love are messing it up and all of that stuff's happening and you're leaving bulletins on the floor and you know, you know how it is. You, you do it every week, right? So, <laughs> seriously. So I had this great idea. 
I had this great idea that if we could get like 200 people doing that, 200 people cleaning the church, and then every Sunday, they're, they're like the Nazis. You know, they're the police going, hey, stop that. You know, don't drop that. We could have the cleanest church in America, right? Uh, we, we could have the cleanest church around because we all have that kind of ownership. We all that kind of love. We want to keep it clean, you know. We're, we're sort of the paper patrol walking around, you know, picking up stuff. And, and so we, we did that. That was part of our passion. But the thing that really galvanized us as a church was this idea of what is our mission, and we decided, we fell on this idea, it's very, very simple, that our mission was about three things. It was to love God, to love one another, and to love the world. Okay, really simple idea, really hard to do. And so we wanna be about how do we love God how do we grow in that? How do we love one another and, and how we love the world? So the next three weeks, starting this morning, we're gonna look at those three things. This morning, we're gonna talk about what it means to love God, what that looks like for us. And, and so we're gonna do that by looking at a, a, a story in the New Testament. But before we do that, if you this week were to have Googled love God, here's what you would have seen. Okay, so some of you, right, know who Chris Pratt is? Like maybe do most of you know who Chris Pratt is? He's an actor, he's really popular, he's like one of the biggest actors on the planet right now, he's a Jurassic World, Ring a Bell, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ring a Bell, any of those shows, okay. So that's who Chris Pratt is, and when he gets up in front of people, he tells them to love God because he loves God, and he wants them to love him too, and, and you hear those kids that are screaming uh, in, in, the, in the audience, and I have no idea what they were screaming about. Is it Chris Pratt's up front? Do they really like what he's saying? Do they have any idea what he's really saying? Does it make sense to them? But for whatever it was, that they're all yelling, and Chris Pratt is saying, I want you to love God, and that's awesome. It, the question is, do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand what it looks like, what it feels like, what it really means to, to love God? And that's what we're gonna look at this morning, and we're gonna do it from two stories uh, from the New Testament, from the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, Jesus is approached by a lawyer. Now, no offense to lawyers, okay? But this is a lawyer's story. This is not a lawyer joke, this is just a lawyer's story, all right? Luke 10 begins like this, it says, and behold, now I love this, if you, if you're, if you haven't read the Gospels a lot, but if you, you could see that word behold uh, a lot in, in the Gospels, and, and basically all that means is, hey look! It's, it's like, uh, and with an exclamation point, pay attention, here's something awesome, behold, look, see what's about to happen, and so he says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, referring to Jesus, to put Jesus to the test. He was gonna trick Jesus, he was gonna get Jesus. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's a really common question. In fact, a few weeks ago, we talked about a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's something everybody was interested in. What do I have to do? What, what's, give me a checklist, tell me what the rules are. 
What do I need to accomplish? What do I do to inherit eternal life? And, and so this guy knew it, but here's the interesting thing about the story is that, that other people had asked the same question. Jesus had already given an answer, and, and so he's just repeating the same question, and Jesus knows this, and so he says, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What do you already know? What's written on this, in the sacred law? How do you read it, Jesus says. And the man answered, you shall love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, that you've got to be all in. You've got to love Jesus with every part of your mind and your body, your strength, your soul, all of it, to, to really love God. And then, he says, and love your neighbors yourself. All right. And Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. I love this. Jesus says, all right, now, I want you to go out. You got the right answer. Now I want you to go out, and I want you to do it every day, 24-7. I want you to do it every hour, every minute, every second of the day. I want you to constantly live that. I want you to constantly love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. I don't want you to ever fail. Don't ever miss it. Don't ever do anything wrong. And if you do that, you're in. You're good. And the lawyer's thinking, okay, that's impossible. Who can do that? Who can possibly live that good? Who can possibly accomplish that? And so this lawyer is thinking as quickly as he can, and here's what he comes up with in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, and who's my neighbor? Really, how do you really define a neighbor? I mean, is a neighbor the person that lives next door to you? Is a neighbor the person that lives you know, near to you? Same school district? Uh, I really, I mean, nobody really knows what a neighbor is. How do you define a neighbor? So how do I know who my neighbor is, Jesus? And I love, in this translation, the ESV, it's, it's, he's seeking to justify, desiring to justify himself. There's another translation that says, looking for a loophole, he says, well, then who's my neighbor? And, and I, love that. I love that idea because you know what a loophole is, right? Johnny, why did you kick your brother? Because you told me not to hit him. That's a loophole, right? Uh, that's a loophole. That's what we do. If you, read the, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, there's three chapters where Jesus just closes all the loopholes for us. It, because in, in, in there it says, well, you know, you've heard it said, you've, you've read it, thou, thou shalt not kill. Okay, but I say, if you hate your brother, that it, you've done that in your heart, you've already committed that sin in your heart. It's the same thing, I'm closing a loophole. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery, but if you've looked at lust uh, at another woman or another man, you've done the same already in your heart. I'm closing that loophole because we are constantly looking for loopholes. And so the lawyer asked Jesus, okay, there's gotta be a loophole in this. Who's my neighbor? How am I supposed to know who my neighbor is? And Jesus responds with this. Let me tell you a story. I'm gonna tell you a story. And, and hopefully this story is gonna help you. So Jesus starts this story. He says that one day there was a man and, and, uh, and we're gonna assume that he was Jewish because of the story and because of who's telling it. And, and one day there's a man and, and he's on a business trip and he's going from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho. And, and so everybody that's listening to the story, and this is great storytelling because they all, they all know what that looks like. They all know Jerusalem. They all know Jericho. If you were traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, here's what you would, here's what you would imagine, that Jerusalem is at 2,500 feet above sea level. 
they get about 20 inches of rain a year. There's greenery, there's trees, there's shrubs, there's all of that 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 is in Jerusalem. And then 18 miles, a mere 18 miles downhill, uh, you get to Jericho, which is 850 feet below sea level. It's a desert. They get eight inches of rain a year. It's actually survived because it was on, a, in a, on an oasis. Uh, and so there's no shrubbery. It's just desert plant. It, it's Phoenix, you know. And they, um, they live there. And so he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And not only was it different, did it have a huge change as you go, but it was also considered one of the most dangerous routes that anybody knew, that it was famous for highwaymen, it was famous for people being robbed, it was a dangerous way to go from Jericho to Jerusalem, and so immediately everybody gets this picture of this story that this man was making this trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and then Jesus continues the story, and on his way, he gets robbed, he gets uh, attacked, and he is beaten to the point of death, he's stripped, all of his goods are taken, all of his money's taken, he's just left on the side of the road to die, and this is the scene that Jesus is setting, and then Jesus continues, because everybody's going, ah, that's too bad, well now Jesus takes a twist in this story, and he says, now along the way comes a priest, oh good, a priest is coming, he'll do something, a priest who's you know, the most revered, the most respected person in the community. Everybody looks up to the priests in the temple. And this particular priest, uh, he sees the man laying in the road. And he goes to the other side of the road and walks around to get away. And he leaves him there. He doesn't stop. Everybody's a little shocked, I'm sure, listening to this story. Wait, that's the guy that's supposed to, he's supposed to be the first one to help. And he walks around him, and I'm sure he was busy. I'm sure he had, you know, places to go, people to see. He was an important guy and all those things. And, and so he walks around, and, and then Jesus said, but next, right after this, comes a Levite. Levites were actually temple assistants, so they were also highly respected. They, they worked in the temple. They had important jobs. And, and he said, now the Levite comes, and he sees the man, and, well, he goes to the other side of the road, and, and he walks around, and he leaves him there oh man and then Jesus said the most scandalous thing of all he said next a Samaritan comes by and Jews hated Samaritans in fact if that man had been conscious he might have told the Samaritan don't help me go away but they they hated Samaritans Samaritans were half-breeds there would have been blood spilt between the Jews and the Samaritans if if you were a a Jew and you were traveling uh, a distance and it caused you that your your track went through Samaria you would actually add three days to your journey so that you could go around Samaria and not defile yourself by walking through there that's how they felt well the Samaritan he comes along he sees the man laying in the road. He, he doesn't think about him as a Jew. He doesn't think about him as anything other than a person in need. And he stops, and it says that he pours ointment. He, pour, he pours oil onto his wounds. He pours wine on his wounds to disinfect. He takes care of him. He puts a cloak on him. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to an inn. He tells the innkeeper. He sits up with him all night. He tells the innkeeper, look, I have to go about my business, but when I come back, whatever else this costs you, here's a denarius, which was a one day's wage wages for a workman. He said, whatever else it costs, I'll pay that one on my way back through. Just take care of them. And so Jesus paints this picture of the good Samaritan, 
Up until then, no Jew had ever put good and Samaritan together in the same sentence. Now Jesus changes it for history, forever. And he tells the story of the good Samaritan and he looks at the lawyer and he says, now go do that. Do that. First he says, well, okay, now, who do you think was the neighbor in this story? Who do you think was the neighbor in this story? And the lawyer, he won't even say it was the Samaritan. He won't say that word. He just says, well, the one that helped him, he, he must have been the neighbor. And Jesus said, you're right. Now, go do that. Go live like that. Give yourself away like that. So it's a fascinating story as we look at it, that the, the people that we would expect, the religious people, the people who knew the law, they, they went out of their way to avoid this man, but the person that was despised, he's the one that stopped and helped. Now, now something happens in the Gospel of, of Luke because Dr. Luke, uh, who was a physician, a great historian, he puts another story right next to that one for us. And, and, and so the next thing that happens in, in Luke 10 is in verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And Martha, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, she went up to Jesus, and she said, Lord, do you not even care that my sister's left me here to serve alone? Do you not even care that my sister is so selfish is so lazy that while I serve and I'm killing myself taking care of everybody uh, that she's just sitting listening to you because here's Jesus. He comes to Bethany. He enters into the home of Mary and Martha and their brother. And people start flocking into the house. People start crowding in the house to hear Jesus teach. Jesus sits down. He begins to teach. There are all these people crowding into the house. And Martha decides everybody needs coffee and everybody needs water. And we got to make sandwiches for everybody. And we got to make sure that they're well taken care of. And that we got to make sure we're good hosts. And so she's just killing herself. She's working herself to death just trying to make sure everybody has enough coffee and, and tea and water and whatever else they drink in there, you know, and, and all of the stuff that's taken care of and making little finger sandwiches so everybody has something to eat, you know, and she's the perfect hostess and, and all of this is going on and finally she sees her sister and she's getting madder and madder at Mary because she's just sitting there, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he has to say. And so she goes to Jesus and she's a little offended by Jesus because he's just letting this happen around. She says, Lord, don't you even care that I do all the work while my sister just sits here listening to you? That's awkward. <laughs> but the Lord answered her, and I love this answer. The Lord answered her, and he said, Martha, Martha. That's just great. If, if, when words are repeated like that in the Greek, it's always for emphasis. And so this had particular emotion to it. Jesus wasn't scolding her. He might have been a little bit sad, but he was also tender, and he says, Martha, Martha. Oh, gosh. Here, here, here's the deal, Martha. He said, you've been anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus says, Martha, look, here's what's happened. 
you wanted to serve and you knew that serving was really good and, and you wanted to make sure everybody felt good, but somewhere along the way in, in your serving, it, what, it became about you, not about me. It wasn't about how do I serve Jesus, but it was about people are in my house and I need to make sure they're served and I make, need to make sure everybody's taken care of and, and I need to make sure this is just perfect and it's a perfect setting and when everybody leaves, they need to walk away saying, wow, what a wonderful house and who is that lady that took care of us and Martha's a great and on and on and, and that's why we have a little saying in the church that says you, you love Jesus, you serve Jesus, it looks good to serve Jesus, you're serving yourself. That, that what happens to us so often is that we start off with these good intentions and, and we start to serve, but all of a sudden every, people start to recognize our serving and, and we start to feel good about how it looks to be a servant and how it, good it looks to take care of people. And before we know it, it's really about us. It's not about Jesus anymore. It's about how people perceive us and how they see our serving and how everything is done and everybody's taken care of. And Martha got so caught up in being the hostess that day that she forgot that the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God is sitting in her house talking to people and she's not paying attention because what she was doing was so important. It was about her. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are so distracted. You know that word distracted, it means you're so pulled away. You're so drawn away from what really matters because of all that you're doing. Because of all that you're trying to, how you're trying to impress, how you're serving, all the work that you're putting in, but it's pulling you away from what really matters. Mary's chosen what really matters, and I'm not going to take that away from her. It's a pretty powerful picture for us. But here, here we have this interesting dilemma because we have the good Samaritan who stopped everything to serve and, and take care of the man on the road. And then we have Mary and Martha and Jesus says, well, I'm gonna let Mary sit at my feet and, and listen to me. So which is it, Lord? Do we sit at your feet and listen to you or are we supposed to go serve and take care of people? I mean, I mean what do you want us to do? I'm feeling a little bit torn here and, and Jesus is gonna clear it up for us. He's gonna help us with that. He's gonna show us what it, feels like and what it looks like and how we begin this whole journey with him. And here's, we get a little clue in John, the Gospel of John chapter 11, verses one to three, there's this great story about Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And here's what we have. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So now we have the whole family, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus. And it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now we have some more information about Mary. Here's the story of, about Mary, that one day Jesus is at this dinner party. Uh, he's supposed to be the special guest, but when he walked in, uh, they, didn't wash his, they didn't give any water to wash his feet or his hands. They just let him recline. They're trying to embarrass him. And this woman comes in, this woman with a past, this woman with a bad reputation, this woman who was considered a sinner, who was considered lost, she comes in and she breaks this bottle of expensive perfume and she pours it over the feet of Jesus and with tears flowing out of her eyes, she wipes his feet with her hair there at the table because she was so overwhelmed with Jesus that here she was, a woman with a bad reputation, a, a woman who had a past that was embarrassing, but somehow in her life, she'd experienced the love of Christ. 
She'd experience what it meant to be forgiven. She'd experience the, the acceptance and the love that comes from knowing Jesus. And she was so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that when the opportunity came, she brought this expensive bottle of perfume. She broke it over his feet. She wiped his feet with her hair with tears coming down her eyes because she was amazed at the love of Christ. That's Mary. Now we get a little bit of a picture of when Jesus comes to her home, why she might sit at his feet and just want to soak up everything that he said. The, the one who loved her like that, the one that she'd experienced real love and acceptance and forgiveness from, when he comes in her house, she doesn't want to do anything else but sit and soak up everything that he had to say because she had never experienced love like that in her life. And here's the other part of the story, is that it says that, uh, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. I love that. They don't say, Lord, your friend Lazarus, you know Lazarus, our brother, uh, you know, the guy that you like, and he's invited you to his house, and, and we've, we've done a lot for you, and we've supported you in lots of different ways, and, and well, now this guy that's done so much for you, he's sick, and we really need you to come. They didn't describe him like that. They didn't even have to use his name. Here's how they referred to him. Lord, the one that you love is ill. Not the one that loves you. The one, Lord, that you love is ill and respond to that. That's how they thought of Jesus, how he loved them. If you read the whole Gospel of John, one of the things that you'll see is that John, the Apostle John, who, who outlived every other apostle, the only one that wasn't martyred for his faith, when he, that as he wrote his Gospel, 40 years after the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as he wrote his Gospel, he constantly referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, early in his life, he was a son of thunder. He had a whole different reputation. Later in his life, he was identified as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here's the lesson for us, that, that when we experience the love of Jesus, when we experience how much Christ loved for us, when we, when we understand that the God who created the universe, the God who created everything, loved us so much that he poured himself into a human body, that he came, he was beaten, he was stripped, uh, he was persecuted, he was crucified for our sake, he did all of that for us, that's how much he loves us, even when we didn't deserve it, when we begin to understand that kind of love in our lives. When we've been loved like that, then we can naturally begin to love other people. We can begin to live that love. So here's what, here's what John says later on. In, in 1 John 4.19, he says this, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's how we learn to love God. We learn to love God because we recognize how much he loves us. You see, some of us miss this, and this is what makes me nervous sometimes. I, I feel like that, that some of us have, well, we feel like we were born on the right team, right? We, we grew up in the church, and, and we've always been a pretty good person, and, and we've always sort of, you know, we go to church, you know, at least a couple times a month, and, and, and we participate somewhere along the way, and we, we, we've kind of done some of those things, and, and so we feel like we're on the right team, and, and we've done the right things, but, but somehow along the way, we've never stopped to really understand how deep 
and how wide and how long and how high is the love of Christ for us. We've never stopped to think that without Jesus in our lives, we would be completely lost, that we are capable of evil, we are capable of wrongdoing. If it wasn't for Christ in our lives, where would we be? And it's not until we recognize how much Jesus loves us in spite of us, how much he's done for us in spite of us, that we really begin to, to plumb the depths of the love of Christ for us. And, and what happens is that we get a different kind of Christian when we don't understand that. Here's, here's what one writer uh, said, Richard Foster. He said this, superficiality is the curse of our age. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And that comes when we begin to understand how loved we are. It begins when we begin to understand how much God loves us, what he has done for us, and the depth of his love. And the more we understand, the more we grow in the depth of of God's love for us, the more we can express that love in our lives. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Four Loves, put it this way. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with uh, wrap it carefully round with hobbies, with little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe dark, uh, casket safe dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And how do we know that? We know that because the God of the universe made himself vulnerable for us. The God of the universe suffered humiliation and death for our sake. He made himself vulnerable. He he was humiliated for our sake. That real love makes us vulnerable. And, and, and so here's how we miss it, because sometimes we see people who, who come from way outside the church and, and a di- way different life, and, and, and they come and they experience Jesus, and they're so excited, and they're on fire, and they're going crazy, and they're telling everybody, and they're doing all these things, and we kind of look at them. It's a little embarrassing. It's a little awkward the way they talk and, and the way we act, and we kind of wish they'd sort of you know get with the game and get with the program and kind of calm it down a little bit, but they've experienced the love of Jesus. And, and we've missed it because we, we just sort of are the program. We haven't experienced that love. We haven't come to grips with how deep the love of Jesus is for us, for you and for me. And we can miss, we can miss the depth, we can miss the breadth, the length, the height of Christ's love for us because we feel like we were born on the team. Well, Jesus helps us a little bit more with this in John 13, uh, verse 34. And for some of you, if you've been here a few times, like twice, you've heard this because we talk about it all the time. If you're brand new, uh, you, you might not know this, so I'm just going to tell you today. If you're brand new, um, my, my, we all feel like we have spiritual gifts and strengths, you know, and my particular strongest one is the gift of repetition. So I just say the same things over and over and over again until until we start to all get it. So you could say, Larry, we get it. Stop already, please. But here's what Jesus said in John 13, 34. He says, love one another. Great. 
everybody's got. We get that. We know that already. It's kind of like love your neighbors yourself. Here's what Jesus said, though. He says, I, a new commandment I give you. Who does that? Who gives new commandments? Uh, we have the Ten Commandments already, Lord. I mean, we have those, and now you're saying there's an Eleventh Commandment. You're giving us a new commandment. Who can do that? Only the person that wrote the first ten can add to them, all right? And that's Jesus. And he says, okay, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I want you to love one another. Got it. No, 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 you don't, you don't get it. Because I want you to love one another as I've loved you. I want you to know my love for you, and then I want you to go do that. Do you want to know what it looks like to love God? He says, I experience God's love, and then I do that. It's out of his love for me that I can go into the world and love other people with an authenticity, with a truth, with a realness that people will see, people can touch, people can feel. That's what love looks like. That's what the love of God really looks like. So, What's it mean to love God? It it begins when we recognize how much we're loved by him. And we learn to love by watching how he loved. We love because he loved. We learn to love by watching and learning how much Jesus, first how much he loves us, and then how much he loves the world, and then we do that. We learn everything we can. Why do we read the gospels? Why do we read the Bible? Because we want to learn to love the way Jesus loved. We want to experience his love, and then we want to live out that love. So I, I want to sit at his feet. I want to catch every that he had to say. The idea of sitting at the feet of Jesus was normal language for them. If you were a disciple, you would follow your teacher. When your teacher sat down to teach, you would sit at his feet to catch everything that he had to say. He says, and when you experience my love and you begin to love me, you want to listen to everything. You want to catch everything I have to say and you want to try to live that out in your life. And so where's the power then to love? There's only one who has ever loved like this every day, every minute, no matter who the other person was, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one that ever lived like that. So if that's who we're going to be, then we need to experience Jesus. We need to read about Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus, and then we need to begin to live like him. We imitate him. We begin to love like him. That's how we do it. That's how it's done. And so here's what we try to do uh, here at North. We, we try to help each other grow in our love for God, grow in our love for Jesus. So we're always, if you've been here for the last 10 years, but if you're here for the next 10 years, one of the things you'll always notice is that we're always gonna talk about Jesus. He's always gonna be the center of everything that we do. He's the reason that we meet. He's the reason that we gather. He's the reason that we sing. He's the reason for everything that we do. We're gonna lift up Jesus. It's about understanding his love and growing in our love for him so that we can live that love out in the world. So it's always going to be about Jesus. It's always gonna be about him. And then we're going to try to help each other grow. So we do community groups. Uh, we, you know, you might call them home groups, life groups, small groups, whatever you want, but we do community groups because one of the, one of the uh, convictions we have is, is that people tend to grow better in circles than they do in rows. And, and so we get in circles in somebody's home or someplace, and, and we, we say, well, here's what we heard on Sunday, and How does that apply to my life? How do I live that out? And let's help each other grow. Let's help each other to experience Christ's love. Let's help each other to to grow in our faith together. Let's live this out together and, and do it together. 
So we do community groups to help us grow in our, in, in our love for God. You know, one of the great little tools that we have, if you go through the lobby, there's a place called the Home Point Center, and it's all for families. It's all for marriage and family. And it's say, look, you have a two-year-old? We have a recipe card. We have a little stuff that can help you at every stage in your child's life from birth through 18 uh, to, that you can be the spiritual leader in your home, that you can have some tools that will help you guide your children to learn to love God and what it means to live that love out in the world. And we want to help you do that. We want to help equip you to do that. Because our goal, our dream, our prayer is that we would experience the love of Jesus in our lives. That we would begin to grow in our love for him and that we would live that love out in the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, thank you for your examples. Lord, thank you that you demonstrated your love and that we who have been loved by you, we can love you back and we can learn to love one another. So Lord, we receive that this morning. We don't completely understand always how it looks, and, but Lord, we, but that's, that's the desire in our heart. We want to love you. Lord, we, we want to recognize your incredible love for us. Lord, help us, help us to understand, help us to get that picture, help us to clearly see your great love for us. And Lord, as we experience that love, I pray, Lord, that you give us the courage and the strength to love you back and that we could begin to live that love out, your love out in the world. And so, Lord, we thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. There's a little line in that song that says, uh, what is it, your glory surpasses all our fame or something like that, right? And I was thinking about that because I love the Chris Pratt video, right? Uh, I, I love that video uh, where he says, you know, love God because I love God. But, you know, if we really want to transform the world, if we really want to see the world change, it isn't going to come from, you know, famous guys. It's, it's not going to, you know, it's going to come from people like us. It's going to come from people who live an authentic life for Christ, who live it every day, not because they're on a stage, not because they're in the movies, but, but because they're living out their faith in Christ. They're living it out faithfully. They're, faithfully, they're living it out authentically. And that uh, is going to be the, what captures the hearts and the minds uh, of people in the world when they see that happening. And that's what God's called us to do. We'll have our prayer partners to the side and, uh, and then also the prayer table. You can write your prayer requests. Uh, two great opportunities for prayer, so I'd encourage you to take advantage of, uh, of those things. And, and, um, and next week, uh, we're going to continue our Mission Possible series, and we're going to take a, a little deeper dive into what it means to love one another. So join us for that uh, as we discover more what it means to love God and then uh, to love one another next week. And I love you guys. So I hope you have a great day. God bless.
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.